recording in progress. And welcome to tonight's Zoom cast on Isaiah's prophecy, chapters 38 through 39, entering into the rest of the Lord. And we'll begin in Isaiah 38, verse 1. The Isaiah Institute translation. In those days, Hezekiah became gravely ill. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says Jehovah, put your house in order, you will die. You will not recover. Now, in Isaiah, Hezekiah is one of the metaphors for the end time servant, as well as Isaiah, as well as King Cyrus, as well as Moses. And in this instance, um, we have the historical precedent of the suffering servant or the servant marred nigh unto death. And in an end time scenario, this represents both the first and second ministries of the end time servant. The first ministry, which the servant is marred unto death, but he comes again in a second ministry to finish the restoration of the gospel and to prepare the earth for the coming of Jesus Christ in his glory. You will die and you will not recover. Now, in this instance, it's curious because Hezekiah actually does recover. (laughs) He actually is granted additional time by the Lord, but it makes it even more poignant as a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant because the Lord's end time servant in his first ministry, he doesn't make it and he actually dies prematurely because of the apostasy of the Lord's people in that day and their refusal to offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, just as the children of Israel under Moses. In fact, if we go to DNC 84, in DNC 84, In verses 23 through 26, Moses's name and Joseph Smith's names are interchangeable. And when in verse 24, the children of Israel reject the invitation that they are given to enter into the new covenant, become the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that they might be instructed about how to enter into the rest of the Lord, which entering into the rest of the Lord is more than to see him in vision. It's even more than for Christ to come down here and visit um, a person or a people like he did to the 12 apostles or to the Nephites, but it is to have an ascension experience. Both the children of Israel and the Latter-day Saints under Joseph Smith's first ministry, rejected their opportunity to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, (laughs) and thus to enter into the Lord's rest in that lifetime. Verse 25, therefore he took Moses 
And in the end time context, Joseph Smith out of their midst and the holy priesthood also, or the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, which was referred to in verse 19, this greater priesthood being distinguished from the Aaronic priesthood. And the lesser priesthood, verse 26 continued, which priesthood hold the key of the ministering of angels and the preparatory gospel. So just as Hezekiah serves as historical precedent, um, so does Moses. And that both Moses and Joseph Smith were prematurely taken from their respective peoples um, because they refused to enter into the new and everlasting covenant. And so back in Isaiah 38, verse 1. So in those days, Hezekiah, a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant, became gravely ill. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus saith Jehovah, put your house in order, you will die, you will not recover. Which was fulfilled in the lifetime of Joseph Smith. Verse 2, At this Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto Jehovah. I beseech you to remember, O Jehovah, how I have walked before you faithfully and with full purpose of heart and have done what is good in your eyes and Hezekiah wept disconsolately. And verse 4. Then the word of Jehovah came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, thus says Jehovah, the God of your father David. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. And this also sets up... Um, the historical precedent that just as 15 years were added to Hezekiah's life, so would the end time servant <clears throat> be given another life and would return to finish his work. Verse six, and I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will protect this city. This is also an end-time metaphor, that in the last days, when that entity who would amass to itself a political, economic, and military power, and would become the staff of the Lord's hand in destroying the wicked and even the entire world, that God would deliver his people out of bondage and from destruction by the hand of his end-time servant. And, you know, here, the Isaiah Institute um, inserts verses 21 and 22, <clears throat> making the observation that in our current text of Isaiah, they are actually out of place. And so going to verse 21, and Isaiah gave instructions to take fig packs and apply them to the swelling so that he would recover. And verse 22, but Hezekiah said, what of a sign that I shall again go up to the house of Jehovah? And Isaiah replied, this shall be a sign to you from Jehovah, that Jehovah will do the thing that he has promised. See, I make the shadow cast by the afternoon sun on the dial of Ahaz recede the 10 degrees it has gone down. 
So the sun reversed its descent by 10 degrees on the dial. So the sign that the Lord gives to Hezekiah that the words of Isaiah shall be fulfilled are that the sundial moves back 10 degrees. Um, and in verse 22, um, Isaiah has told Hezekiah that he will enter into the Lord's rest. And so, you know, Hezekiah is in distress. You know, his greatest concern before he dies <coughs> is not only to bring his people into righteousness, but also to enter into the rest of the Lord as Isaiah has done and as is recorded in Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 9. Hezekiah, king of Judah's account of his illness written upon his recovery. I said in the prime of life, must I depart through Sheol's gates, deprived of the balance of my years? I thought I shall not see Jehovah in the land of the living. I shall not now behold man among those dwelling in mortality. Um, so Hezekiah is looking forward to his seeing Jesus Christ while he is in the flesh, not in the next life, but in this life. And that is the opportunity that God gives to his people in every generation in which the fullness of the gospel is on the earth. And it was Isaiah who opened a new dispensation among the people of his days. And so it became possible for the people of Isaiah's day to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and to enter into the rest of the Lord because of it. And this was a promise that Hezekiah received from Isaiah. But if uh, his sickness is terminal and he is going to pass away, he does not see how this can be fulfilled. But Isaiah assures him that it will. And, you know, in verse 11, you know, again, this seeing Jehovah is not seeing Christ in vision. It's not seeing him um, in the next life. This is not even, you know, having him come down. It is to have an ascension experience like Isaiah had <coughs> while in Hezekiah's flesh. And as a cross-reference, let's go to the ascension of Isaiah, and let's get some context. In the ascension of Isaiah, starting in chapter 1. And it came to pass that in the twenty sixth year of the reign of Hezekiah, king of Judah, that he called Manasseh his son. Now he was his only one. And he called him into the presence of Isaiah, the son of Amos, the prophet. 
and into the presence of Joseph, the son of Isaiah, in order to deliver unto him the words of righteousness, which the king himself had seen, and of eternal judgments and torments of Gehenna and the prince of this world and of his angels and his authorities and his powers and the words of the faith of the beloved, which he himself had been in the 15th year of his reign during his illness, or which he had seen in the 15th year of the reign during his illness. So, in the ascension of Isaiah, we find out <coughs> that during the period of Isaiah's great illness, which almost takes away his life, that he, like Isaiah, had the ascension experience. He entered into the rest of the Lord, which is the second comforter experience. Again, which is the privilege of God's people in every generation in which the fullness of the gospel is on the earth. And we are going to be returning to the book of the Ascension of Isaiah for a more full context of, you know, what happens during Isaiah's sickness and what transpires. <clears throat> but let's first go to DNC 67. And let's learn more about what it means to enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory. Um, you know, again, you know, that taken from DNC 84, verse 23. <clears throat> now, this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness. What did he plainly teach? Well, verses 19 through 21 are about the ordinances that pertain to the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, namely baptism of water and fire and the Holy Ghost. And that the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost is the mysteries of godliness being manifest unto men in the flesh. <laughs> and that that is the antecedent to being able to enter into the rest of the Lord. Because the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that sanctifies a man, a woman, or a people, preparatory to entering into the Lord's rest. And so now, continuing in DNC 8423, now this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. Again, that sanctification comes through the offering of a broken heart and contrite spirit, <clears throat> as Christ outlines in 3 Nephi 9, verse 20. And then we receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that is what sanctifies a man, a woman, or a people preparatory to entering into the rest of the Lord. In verse 24, we find out that beholding the face of God um, is more than just a visionary experience. But they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore, the Lord in his wrath, for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory. So entering into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory, is the ascension experience. So DNC 67, verse 1. 
Behold and hearken, O ye elders of my church, who have assembled yourselves together, whose prayers I have heard and whose hearts I know, and whose desires have come up before me. So this is given in November 1831. And again, <clears throat> it is the privilege of God's people in every generation in which the fullness of the gospel is on the earth to enter into his rest. And verses 10 through 14. And again, verily I say unto you that it is your privilege and a promise I give unto you that have been ordained unto this ministry. That inasmuch as you strip yourselves from jealousies and fears and humble yourselves before me, for ye are not sufficiently humble. So this is key because the key to entering into the Lord's rest is receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the only way to receive that is to offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. For ye are not sufficiently humble, meaning you are failing to enter into the new and everlasting covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit that you might receive that sanctification, which will qualify you to enter into the Lord's rest. For you're not sufficiently humble. The veil shall be rent and you shall see me. And know that I am. So let me start over. And again, verily I say unto you that it is your privilege and a promise I give unto you that have been ordained unto this ministry, that inasmuch as you strip yourselves from jealousies and fears and humble yourself before me, for you're not sufficiently humble, the veil shall be rent, and you shall see me and know that I am. Not with the carnal, neither the natural mind, but with the spiritual and we're going to go to Moses chapter 1 to gain more understanding what this means. That you shall see me and know that I am, but not with the carnal, neither in the natural mind, but with the spiritual. For verse 11, no man has seen God at any time in the flesh except being quickened by the Spirit. So in Moses, we're going to gain greater insight into what it means to be quickened um, by the spirit, which means to be transfigured. But what actually happens as we're transfigured? What actually happens when we are quickened by the spirit? And why does it say that as we're quickened by the spirit, as we're transfigured, that we shall see Christ and know that he is not with the carnal, neither the natural mind, but with the spiritual? For verse 12, neither can any natural man abide the presence of God, neither after the carnal mind? You are not able to abide the presence of God now. Parenthetically, you haven't even yet received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which was the endowment of power for which the Kirtland and Nauvoo temples were built. I guess I should say for which the Kirtland temple was built and for which uh, it was the design of the Nauvoo temple to be built because the Nauvoo temple was never finished. <clears throat> you are not able to abide the presence of God now, neither the ministering of angels. Well, why would they not be able to bear the ministering of angels? For the Aaronic priesthood holds the key to the ministering of angels. And 
if these elders had uh, up to this time been true and faithful, um, they would have had the Aaronic priesthood sealed upon them and they would receive the ministering of angels, just like Nephi in 3rd Nephi chapter 7. In fact, let's go to 3rd Nephi chapter 7. And this is before Christ comes to visit the Nephites. This is before Christ restores the Melchizedek priesthood to Nephi and the 12 and the fullness of the gospel. So here, Nephi is operating only under the Aaronic priesthood, but because he has been true and faithful, he's had it sealed upon him. Therefore, he enjoys the ministering of angels. Verse 15, and it came to pass that Nephi, having been visited by angels and also by the voice of the Lord, therefore having seen angels and being eyewitness and having had power given unto him that he might know concerning the ministry of Christ and also being eyewitness to their quick return from righteousness unto their wickedness and abominations, talking about the people of his day. Therefore, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their minds went forth among them in that same year and began to testify boldly repentance and remission of sins through faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. And again in verse 18. And it came to pass that they were angry with him even because he had greater power than they. For it were not possible they could disbelieve his words for so great was his faith on the lord jesus christ that angels did minister unto him daily you know this is the gift that is given to those who have the first uh priesthood the ironic priesthood sealed upon them and back to dnc 67 um the elders in the church weren't even living um according to the lesser law which would have allowed them to have that ironic priesthood sealed upon them and allowed them to enjoy the ministering of angels. Again, verse 13 in the 67, you are not able to abide the presence of God now, neither the ministering of angels, wherefore continue in patience until ye are perfected. Again, we have this idea that it is the privilege of God's people in every generation in which the fullness of the gospel is on the earth to enter into his rest. Verse 14, let not your minds turn back. And when ye are worthy in mine own due time, you shall see and know that which was conferred upon you by the hands of my servant, Joseph Smith, Jr. Amen. Now let's go to Moses 1 and learn what it means to be transfigured, to enter into the rest of the Lord, to behold him with our spiritual eyes. Moses 1, verse 1. And the words of God which he spake unto Moses at a time when Moses was caught up to an exceedingly high mountain. Now, this high mountain, this exceedingly high, high mountain, was not an earthly mountain. This is the heavenly mountain. Or as we're going to further read about in the ascension of Isaiah, the seventh heaven. That place in the heavens where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory. And Moses wasn't just seeing this in vision. He was going there. He was brought there. And he saw God face to face and he talked with him. And the glory of God was upon Moses. Therefore, Moses could endure his presence. Now, there, there is a qualification 
just like we read in DNC 84, to enter into the rest of the Lord, and that is the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And once we have received that, then we can be instructed about what is required of us to enter into the Lord's rest. And Moses has done this. And that the glory of God was upon Moses. This is transfiguration. Um, now, preceding transfiguration is a brand new baptism of fire. And there's an important clarification that needs to be made. There are baptisms of fire, and there is the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a priesthood ordinance, and it is a one-time event. Um, it is not a process. But we may have many baptisms of fire throughout our life. Their purpose is to sanctify us, to make us clean, because no unclean thing can enter into God's presence in his glory. Therefore, even though Moses had the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost back at the burning bush, he had to receive a brand new baptism of fire to be made clean that he might be able to enter into the Lord's rest. And this baptism of fire of Moses's proceeds to transfiguration. Um, and that's what it means that the glory of God was upon Moses. Yep. And, you know, again, back in DNC 67, verse 11, for no man has seen God at any time in the flesh, except quickened by the spirit of God. So this quickening by the spirit of God in chapter or in section 67, verse 11 is the same thing as, um, the glory of God was upon Moses in verse 2. Therefore, Moses could endure his presence. Now, let's fast forward to verse 9. And the presence of God withdrew from Moses that his glory was not upon Moses. And Moses was left unto himself, and as he was left unto himself, he fell unto the earth. Or in other words, as soon as transfiguration ends, you cannot stay in God's glory in the seventh heaven. And so when Moses' transfiguration ended, he fell back to the earth. The question is, what aspect of Moses fell back to the earth? And that's going to be revealed in Moses uh, chapter 1, verse 11. Verse 10. And it came to pass that it was for the space of many hours before Moses did again receive his natural strength like unto man. And he said unto himself, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed. Now, there is an element that is common in all true ascension experiences. And that element is, while it is always deeply personal, it is never casual. For when one enters into the rest of the Lord, one understands as they never could have before how desperately one needs a savior and that awful gulf that separates us from him. And so even Moses, who as a young boy grew up as a prince in Egypt, so he knew the pomp and ceremony of the world like few ever will, came to a new level of realization about how desperately he needed a savior. And therefore, he realized that he was nothing, which thing he never had before supposed. 
and verse 11. But now mine own eyes have beheld God, but not my natural, but my spiritual eyes. For my natural eyes could not have beheld, for I should have withered and died in his presence. But his glory was upon me, and I beheld his face, for I was transfigured before him. Now let's unpack what that means. But again, referring back to DNC 67, the end of verse 10, end of verse 10, the veil shall be rent and you shall see me and know that I am not with the carnal, neither the natural mind, but with the spiritual. For no man has seen God at any time in the flesh, except quickened by the spirit of God. Neither can any natural man abide in the presence of God, neither after the carnal mind. And you're not able to abide in the presence of God now. <clears throat> so, in other words, we can't take our physical body into the seventh heaven until we're translated. But what does happen between the time of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and translation? When we have been sufficiently instructed and have passed all of the tests required, to enter into the rest of the Lord, we will receive a brand new baptism of fire or the glory of God will come upon us. And that baptism of fire will, prog will progress to transfiguration. The glory of God will be upon us. And at that time, as if we were having a near-death experience, our spirit is taken up out of our body and into the seventh heaven. And it is our spirit body that comes into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. This is described in DNC 76 in the following language, but you have to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand to know what is being talked about. For after verse 52, which is the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, it says, and who overcome by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which the Father sheds forth upon all those who are just and true. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. Well, this overcoming by faith is the same thing that Nephi talks about in 2 Nephi 32. That after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, we are to feast upon the words of Christ. For the words of Christ will tell us all things that we should do to what? To get to the tree and to partake of the fruit. The tree is Christ. Feasting upon the words of Christ is after, in this context, in 2 Nephi 32 and in DNC 76.53, it is the same thing as overcoming by faith, which means that we seek after we receive and act on revelation after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And as we do that, and as we're instructed how to, again, offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, we're instructed in all things required to enter into the rest of the Lord in this life. And thus we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is Jesus Christ in the seventh heaven, and our calling and election is made sure. And thus we become members of the church of the firstborn, which is verse 54. And this is what is meant by an ascension experience. And it can happen in no other way. No man, no woman can enter into the rest of the Lord without first receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
No man, no woman can enter into the rest of the Lord unless they are instructed and prove themselves true and faithful in all things required to enter into the Lord's rest. And then directly preceding that ascension experience, receive a brand new baptism of fire, which progresses to transfiguration. And they're taken up into the Lord's rest. Now, the adversary has a counterfeit experience for everything that God has. And the adversary's counterfeit experience for ascension is astral projection. In which the glory of God comes not upon you. And the adversary's counterfeit astral projection. Can he happen either before or after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost? I have seen it happen to so many, both before and after. However, the glory of God did not come upon them. And their spirit was taken up out of their body, all right, but not into the seventh heaven, but into the astral realm. And they certainly had a being present himself to them as if he were Christ but it was not, it was Lucifer. And there are often tragic consequences associated with this counterfeit ascension experience. Um, but the existence of a counterfeit does not invalidate the original sacred experience. And it is the sacred experience of entering into the rest of the Lord which God's people must seek after. And back to Moses 1. Now let's read verses 9 through, or let's read verses 10 through. Let's read 24 through 26. And it came to pass that when Satan had departed from the presence of Moses, that Moses lifted up his eyes unto heaven, being filled with the Holy Ghost, <coughs> which beareth record of the Father and the Son. And calling upon the name of God, he beheld his glory again. For it was upon him. And he heard a voice saying, Blessed art thou, Moses, for I, the Almighty, have chosen thee, and thou shalt be made stronger than many waters, for they shall obey thy command as if thou wert God. And lo, I am with thee, even unto the end of thy days, for thou shalt deliver my people from bondage, even Israel, my chosen. And it came to pass that as the voice was still speaking, Moses cast his eyes and beheld the earth, yet even all of it, and there was not a particle of it which he did not behold, discerning it by the Spirit of God. Now, some time had passed from Moses' initial ascension experience, and he has another ascension experience. Um, and this time, we have the account of Father Sealing the second order of Melchizedek priesthood upon Moses. As Moses receives his commission to go before Pharaoh and to deliver the children of Israel. And 
the sealing of this priesthood is delivered by God's own voice. We also have an account of Nephi, the brother of Lehi, in Helaman 10, receiving this sealing of the second order of Melchizedek priesthood. <coughs> now, DNC 76. This time, verses 116 through 119. Neither is man capable to, capable to make them known, for they are only to be seen and understood by the power of the Holy Spirit, which God bestows on those who love him and purify themselves before him, to whom he grants this privilege of seeing and knowing for themselves, that through the power and manifestation of the Spirit while in the flesh, they may be able to bear his presence in the world of glory. And to God and the Lamb be glory and honor and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And DNC 93, verses 1 through 4. Verily, thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments shall see my face and know that I am. Well, seeing my face in this instance means the same thing as in DNC 84, to behold the face of God, which is to enter into his rest, which rest is the fullness of his glory. And that I am the true light that lighteth every man and cometh into the world. That I am in the Father, the Father in me, and the Father and I are one. The Father, because he gave me of his fullness, and the Son, because I was in the world and made flesh my tabernacle and dwelt among the sons of men. And verses 19 through 22. And I give unto you these sayings that ye may understand and know how to worship and know what you worship, that you may come unto the Father in my name and in due time receive of his fullness. Well, to receive of the fullness of the Father means one actually has to enter into the presence of the Father. And only Christ introduces a man or woman into the presence of Father in his glory. And if you keep my commandments, you shall receive of his fullness and be glorified in me. And I am in the Father, therefore I say unto you, you shall receive grace for grace. And now, verily I say unto you, I was in the beginning with the Father and am the firstborn. And all those who are begotten through me are partakers of the glory of the same and are the church of the firstborn. So there are actually two different levels of sonship and daughtership with Jesus Christ. The first is the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is the formal adoption ceremony. Where the chains with which Lucifer has bound us are cut as Christ cuts them and adopts us as his sons and daughters. But there is another level of sonship and daughtership that is achieved when one enters into the rest of the Lord and has their calling and election made sure. It's like the difference between being born into a family and then doing all that is required to inherit the birthright. 
At the baptism of fire, baptism of the ghost, we are born into Christ's family. But when we have one's calling and election made sure, um, then we receive the birthright and a new level of sonship or daughtership. Verse 22 again, and all those who are begotten through me are partakers of the glory of the same and are the church of the firstborn. And as we read in DNC 76, verses 53 and 54, we become members of the church of the firstborn when we enter into the rest of the Lord in the seventh heaven. And we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which is our calling and election made sure. Moroni 7. Verse 3, wherefore I would speak unto you that are the church, that are the peaceable followers of Christ, and that have obtained a sufficient hope by which ye can enter into the rest of the Lord. From this time henceforth until you shall rest with him in heaven. So here, Moroni is clearly delineating the difference between entering into the rest of the Lord in this life and the rest of the Lord that we enter into in the heavens after this life. Jacob 1 verse 7. Wherefore, we labor diligently among our people, that we might persuade them to come unto Christ and partake of the goodness of God, that they might enter into his rest, lest by any means he should swear in his wrath that they should not enter into, that they should not enter in, as in the provocation in the days of temptation while the children of Israel were in the wilderness." Remember, this cross-reference is DNC 84, verses 19 through 25. You know, again, DNC 84. Verses 19 through 25. And this greater priesthood administereth the gospel and holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. Ordinances plural, ordinances that pertain to the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, the fullness of the gospel, which include baptism by water and fire in the Holy Ghost, which is the reception of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is the power of godliness being manifest to men in the flesh. And verse 21, without the ordinances thereof, the baptism of water, fire, and the Holy Ghost by the Melchizedek priesthood, and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. Or in other words, when there is not a man on the earth who has been ordained and sealed under this power, it is impossible to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and therefore to enter into the Lord's rest. For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. Now this Moses plainly taught the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. But they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore, the Lord, in his wrath for his anger, was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory. 
Therefore, he took Moses out of their midst and the holy priesthood also. What's the holy priesthood? The same priesthood referred to in verse 19, this greater priesthood, the first order of Melchizedek priesthood being distinguished from the Aaronic priesthood. In verse 26, and the lesser priesthood continued, which priesthood holdeth the key of the ministry of angels and the preparatory gospel. This is what the Nephites had been demoted to by 3rd Nephi chapter 1. And this is the baptism that Nephi was baptizing people with in 3rd Nephi 1 and 3rd Nephi 7 before Christ comes, restores the fullness of the gospel. The baptism by water into the preparatory gospel by the authority of the Aaronic priesthood. And beginning of verse 27, which gospel is the gospel of repentance, baptism, and the remission of sins? Well, what do you think is the gospel we have in the Elias Church today? And by what authority do we baptize by water into the church today? It's not the Melchizedek priesthood. Third Nephi 27. Verse 19. And no unclean thing can enter into his kingdom. Therefore, nothing entereth into his rest. Save it be those who have washed their garments in my blood. Because of their faith and repentance in all their, of all their sins and their faithfulness unto the end. Well, this requires the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and that baptism of fire which accompanies transfiguration. Alma 16. Verse 17. That they might not harden, that they might not harden against the word, that they might not be unbelieving and go on to destruction, but that they might receive the word with joy. And as a branch be grafted into the true vine, that they might enter into the rest of the Lord their God. Again, it's the privilege of God's people in every generation in which the fullness of the gospel is on the earth to enter into his rest. And if we had true prophets and apostles on the earth today, their number one job would be to testify how through the offering up of a broken heart and contrite spirit, they received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then were instructed about how to enter into the rest of the Lord. And then they would tell you about their experience of coming into Christ's presence in his glory. And they would say that the reason that they are here is so that they could testify of their experience of ascension so that you might know that you can also experience these things. And they would go into detail about what it means to offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit and pass the tests that are associated with that sacrifice. You can see 101. And these are keys of knowledge that you might know how to discern imposters. You can see 101, 37 through 39. Therefore, care not for the body, neither the life of the body, 
but care for the soul and for the life of the soul. And seek the face of the Lord always. And the definition of that is given to us in DNC 84. It's to enter into the rest of God. And seek the face of the Lord always, that in patience ye may possess your souls and ye shall have eternal life. Now, John 14, verses 15 through 23. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Now, what are the commandments of the Lord? And, you know, there's the commandments of the Lord in this context is, is different from the law. You know, the law is the given set of um, principles that are given that we work on our entire lifetime, but, you know, never completely master. But my commandments is the revelation that is put into your hearts before the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that you might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. The revelation put into our hearts after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that we might be instructed to about how to enter into the rest of the Lord. These, this is what this verse is talking about. If you love me, keep my commandments. If after you have received the first comforter, if you want to receive the second comforter, because you love me, Hearken to the voice of the Spirit. Continue to ask and to knock, and you will be brought into my rest. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, and he, that he may abide with you forever. <laughs> now, to receive the first comforter, one must demonstrate a broken heart and contrite spirit. And when one has, Christ will plead their case before Father. And when he receives permission from Father to adopt them as sons or daughters, then is the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost to be performed. Now, this is contained in 3 Nephi chapter 19. And so is the next part, which is in this verse that after you have received the first comforter and after you have hearkened unto all my commandments, which I shall put into your heart afterward, <clears throat> that you might be instructed about how to enter into my rest, I will again plead your case before Father. And when I have permission from Father, then you will receive another baptism of fire, which will progress to transfiguration, and you will be brought up into the seventh heaven. Again, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now let's cross-reference to 3 Nephi 19, where we have exactly this taking place. So in 3 Nephi 19, Nephi and the 12 disciples receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And what we're going to see is that Christ then pleads the case for the people 
who will believe in him because of their words that they also might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he pleads the case for Nephi and the 12, that now they might enter into his rest. So 3 Nephi 19, verse 8. And when they had ministered those same words, which Jesus had spoken, nothing varying from the words which Jesus had spoken, behold, they knelt again and prayed to the Father in the name of Jesus. And they did pray for that which they most desired, and they desired that the Holy Ghost should be given unto them. For we know that Nephi had been preaching at least 35 years and dedicating his life toward the ministry and had not yet received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, because there was not a man in his geographical location who had been ordained and sealed to this first order of Melchizedek priesthood. But that has just taken place at the end of 3 Nephi 18. In verse 36, it says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of these sayings, he touched with his hand the disciples whom he had chosen, one by one, even until he had touched them all, and he spake unto them as he touched them. Now this first order of Melchizedek priesthood is sealed upon them. This opens a new dispensation of the fullness of the gospel among the Nephites. Now it is possible to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and Christ give the Nephite disciples this charge to go forth and perform this ordinance, which heretofore had not been possible since 3 Nephi chapter 1, for some 35 years. And verse 37, And the multitude heard not the words which he spake, therefore they did not bear record, but the disciples bear record that he gave them power to give the Holy Ghost, and I will show unto you hereafter that this record is true. And so back in chapter 19, verse 11, and it came to pass that Nephi went down into the water and was baptized, which Nephi had been doing with the Aaronic priesthood, according to 3 Nephi 1 and 3 Nephi 7 for 35 years. But he had never been baptized by the Melchizedek priesthood which is happening now. And he came up out of the water and began to baptize, and he baptized all those whom Jesus had chosen. And it came to pass that when they were all baptized and had come up out of the water, the Holy Ghost did fall upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And behold, they were encircled about as if it were by fire. And it came down from heaven, and the multitude did witness it, and did bear record, and angels did come down out of heaven and administer unto them. And it came to pass that while the angels were ministering unto the disciples, behold, Jesus came and stood in the midst and ministered unto them. Now, so profound an experience was this of Christ's 12 disciples receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the ghost, that even Christ came and ministered to them. And then he separated himself from them. And he began to cry out unto his father, thanking him that he had baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, the 12 whom he had chosen. Verse 19, And it came to pass that Jesus departed out of the midst of them and went a little way off from them and bowed himself to the earth and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast given the Holy Ghost unto these whom I have chosen. And it is because of their belief in me that I have chosen them out of the world. <clears throat> Father, I pray thee, that thou wilt give the Holy Ghost unto all them that shall believe in their words. Father, thou hast given them the Holy Ghost because they believe in me. Thou seest that they believe in me because thou hearest them. And they pray unto me, and they pray unto me because I am with them. And now, Father, I pray unto thee for them, 
and also for all those who shall believe on their words, that they may believe in me, that I may be in them as thou, Father, art in me, that we may be one. Here, Christ is offering a prayer, both for his disciples that they might enter into his rest, and also for those who shall believe in him because of their words, that they also might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that then they might be prepared to also enter into his rest. And he continues this in verse 27. And he turned from them again and went a little way off and bowed himself to the earth. And he prayed again unto the Father, saying, Father, I thank thee that thou hast purified those whom I have chosen because of their, their faith. And I pray for them also, and also for them who shall believe on their words that they may be purified in me oh, through faith. Kind of, I'll flip your switch off. Get out, let yourself die or whatever. Just to let you know, Lisa, um, you keep taking off your mute button and the audio comes through. Verse 29. Father, I pray not for the world, but for those whom thou hast given me out of the world because of their faith, that they may be purified in me that I may be in them as thou, Father, art in me, that we may be one, that I might be glorified in them. This is what those words mean. And these are words that Christ uttered in Gethsemane as he found himself in that cosmic olive press, literally being crushed to death. He cries out unto Father both for those who have become his sons and his daughters through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and also those who will. That he might not only save them from sin and from death, but also that he might extend his hand to them and lift them up to where he is. That they might become one with him and one with Father, as he has done. DNC 101. Or, or rather, back to John 14. Okay, again, John 14, 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Or, if ye love me, after you have received the first comforter, continue to knock and to receive and obey. Or in other words, feast upon the words of Christ. Or in other words, overcome by faith. And you will be instructed in all things necessary to receive the, another or second comforter. And I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So this praying that Christ will do in our behalf, that we might receive the second comforter, we just read an account of that in 3 Nephi chapter 19, <clears throat> verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, 
Let's cross-reference. Second Nephi 32. Verse 1. And now behold, my beloved brethren, I suppose that you ponder somewhat in your hearts concerning that which ye should do after ye have entered in by the way. But behold, why do you ponder these things in your hearts? Well, what does that mean to enter in by the way? Well, Nephi tells us in 2 Nephi 31 verse 17. Wherefore do the things which I have told you that I have seen that your Lord and your Redeemer should do? For for this cause have they been shown unto me that you might know the gate by which you should enter. Enter unto this straight and narrow path or entered in by the way or the gate by which you should enter for the gate by which you should enter is repentance and baptism by water and then cometh the remission of your sins by fire and by the holy ghost and then are ye in the straight and narrow path which leads to eternal life yea then have ye entered in by the gate. Ye have done according to the commandments of the Father and the Son, and ye have received the Holy Ghost, which witnesses of the Father and the Son, unto the fulfilling of the promise which he hath made, that if ye entered in by the way, ye should receive. Back in Second Nephi 32. Concerning that which ye should do after ye have entered in by the way, repentance, baptism of water by the Melchizedek priesthood, and baptism of fire, and the Holy Ghost. Verse 3. Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what ye should do to reach the next step in ascension, which is enter into the rest of the Lord. Verse 6. Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you shall ye observe to do. And back to John 14. Now, verses 16 and 17. This another comforter um, mentioned in both. Now, the Greek translation makes it clear that the he to whom Christ is referring is himself, not the Holy Ghost. Okay, and again, verses 16 and 17. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. The first he is the Father, the second He, is Christ Himself. Verse 17, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth Him not. The Him is Christ. Neither knoweth Him Christ, but ye know Him Christ. For He, Christ, dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So, Again, the Greek translation makes it clear that the he to whom Christ is referring is himself, not the Holy Ghost. The he in these verses is reflexive, or in other words, third-person speech, namely third-person personal 
pronoun. Christ had already made mention of the Holy Ghost as the first comforter at the beginning of John 14. And now he's talking about another comforter. Verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall also live. At that day, ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. When is that day? When you will enter into my rest, which rest is the fullness of my glory, which is not on this earth, but is in the seventh heaven. He that keepeth my commandments and keepeth them, or he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him, and will manifest myself unto him. Again, manifesting himself unto them is to bring them into his rest. BNC 130. Verses 1 through 3. When the Savior shall appear, we shall see him as he is. We shall see that he is a man like ourselves. And that same sociality which exists among us here will exist among us there. Only it will be coupled with eternal glory, which glory we do not now enjoy. John 14, 23, the appearance of the Father and the Son in that verse. And again, John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. The appearing of the Father and the Son in that verse, back in DNC 130, verse 3, is a personal appearance. And the idea that the Father and the Son dwell in a man's heart is an old sectarian notion and is false. In DNC 88. Verses three through five. Wherefore, I now send upon you another comforter. Same terms used in John 14. Being distinguished from the first comforter. Even upon you, my friends. That it may abide in your hearts. Even the Holy Spirit of promise. Which other comforter is the same that I promised unto my disciples as recorded in the testimony of John? This comforter is the promise which I give unto you of eternal life, even the glory of the celestial kingdom. Or in other words, when you receive the second comforter, this another comforter, when you enter into my rest, which rest is the fullness of my glory, you'll be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Or in other words, your calling and election will be 
made sure. Or in other words, verse 4, this comforter is the promise which I give unto you of eternal life, even the glory of the celestial kingdom. Which glory is that of the church of the firstborn, just as we read in DNC 7654. Even of God, the holiest of all, through Jesus Christ, his son. And verses 62 through 68. And again, verily I send to you my friends. Now, who are these friends that Christ is referring to? Verse 74. And I give unto you who are the first labors in the last kingdom. Now, who are the first labors in the last kingdom? Well, they're those who were ordained with Joseph Smith on June 4th, 1831 at the Isaac Morley farm to the second order of Melchizedek priesthood. And these men Christ calls in the Doctrine and Covenants, my apostles and my friends. Being a very different group from those who were called in 1835 to the church office of apostle in the now demoted Church of the Latter-day Saints, the preparatory gospel. This is the first set of apostles and friends. And the only ones that were called apostles of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I give unto you who are the first laborers in the last kingdom, verse 74, a commandment that you assemble yourselves together and organize yourselves and prepare yourselves and sanctify yourselves and purify your hearts and cleanse your hands and your feet before me that I may make you clean. And verse 80, that ye may be prepared in all things when I shall send you again. So the Lord makes it clear that this first ministry is only a preparatory time for their second ministry. When, as is noted in DNC 101.55, that they would return before the second coming of Jesus Christ to finish the work of the restoration and to gather out the strength of the Lord's house in preparation for an end-time exodus. That ye may be prepared in all things when I shall send you again to magnify the callings whereunto I have called you. And the mission with which I have commissioned you. Behold, I sent you out to testify and warn the people, and it becometh every man who hath been warned to warn his neighbor. Therefore, they are left without excuse, and their sins are upon their own heads. Therefore, tarry ye and labor diligence, diligently. Okay, in your first ministry, that in your second ministry, that you may be perfected in your ministry to go forth among the Gentiles for the last time. Notice that this is future tense. To go forth among the Gentiles for the last time. Well, that was not during Joseph Smith's first ministry. It is during his second. As many as the mouth of the Lord shall name to bind up the law and seal up the testimony and to prepare the saints for the hour of judgment, which is to come. Okay, back to... Uh, verse 62. And again, verily I say unto you, my friends, now we know who these friends are. I leave these sayings with you to ponder in your hearts with this commandment, which I give unto you, <coughs> that ye shall call upon me while I am near. Draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. Seek me diligently, and you shall find me. Ask, and ye shall receive, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Whatsoever ye ask 
the Father in my name, it shall be given unto you that is expedient for you. And if ye ask anything that is not expedient for you, it shall turn unto your condemnation. Behold, that which you hear is a voice, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. In the wilderness, because you cannot see him. My voice, because my voice is spirit. My spirit is truth. Truth abideth and hath no end. And if it be in you, it shall abound. And if your eye be single to my glory, your whole bodies shall be filled with light and there shall be no darkness in you. And that body, which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. Therefore sanctify yourselves that your minds become single to God. And the day will, the days will come that you shall see him for he will unveil his face unto you. And it shall be in his own time and in his own way and according to his own will. Now, teaching is the prophet Joseph Smith, pages 149 to 151. The other comforter spoken of is a subject of great interest and perhaps understood by few of this generation. After a person has faith in Christ, repents of his sins, and is baptized for the remission of his sins and receives the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, which is the first comforter, then let him continue to humble himself before God, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and living by every word of God, and the Lord will soon say unto him, Son, thou shalt be exalted. And when the Lord has thoroughly proved him and finds that the man is determined to serve him at all hazards, then the man will find his calling and election made sure. Then it will be his privilege to receive the other comforter, which the Lord hath promised the saints, as is recorded in the testimony of St. John in the 14th chapter from the 12th to the 27th verse. Now, what is this other comforter? It is no more nor less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is the sum and substance of the whole matter, that when any man obtains the last comforter, he will have the personage of Jesus Christ to attend him or appear unto him from time to time. And even he will manifest the Father unto him, and they will take up their abode in with him. And the visions of the heavens will be opened unto him, and the Lord will teach him face to face. And he may have a perfect knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And this is the state and place of the ancient saints, or that the ancient saints arrived at when they had such glorious visions. Isaiah, Ezekiel, John upon the Isle of Patmos, St. Paul in the three heavens. Now back to Isaiah 38.
Again, verse 9. Hezekiah, king of Judah's account of his illness written upon his recovery. I said in the prime of my life, must I depart through Sheol's gates, deprived of the balance of my years? I thought I shall not see Jehovah or enter into his rest in this life. In the land of the living, I shall not now behold man among those dwelling in mortality. Another reference to Jesus Christ coming into his presence in his glory. My tabernacle is being uprooted, carried away from me like a shepherd's tent. My life is cut off like a woven fabric. He is severing me from the loom. Can I contain myself until morning? Well, like a lion, he racks my whole frame. Surely, as night has followed day, you are bringing on my end. Like a mounting lark, I twitter. Like a dove, I murmur. My eyes are drawn looking heavenward. I am utterly sleepless from the bitterness of soul. Oh, Jehovah, I am in straits. Be my surety. But what shall I say when he has already spoken for me, when he himself has brought it about? Oh, my Lord, by means of such trials comes a newness of life. Now, this reminds me of the Psalm of Nephi in 2 Nephi chapter 4. Oh, my Lord, by means of such trials comes a newness of life. And throughout them, all the renewal of my spirit. It just so happens that this is one of Hezekiah's <coughs> final tests before entering into the rest of the Lord. And the test is... Will you be true and faithful to me, even if the promise which was given unto you that you would enter into my rest is not granted to you in this life? Will you be true and faithful to me, even if? His final test. Surely for my own good, I am in such dire distress. By its means, you draw my soul out of the pit of dissolution, for you have cast all my sins behind you, restoring and reviving me. For Sheol cannot praise you, nor death glorify you. Those who go down into the pit have no further hope of your faithfulness. But the living, only they bring you praise, as I do this day. From father to sons, they pass on the knowledge of your faithfulness. O Jehovah, may it please you to save me. And we will perform music all the days of our lives in the house of Jehovah. Isaiah 39. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and gifts to Hezekiah for he had heard of his illness and recovery. And Hezekiah was glad of them and showed the envoys his treasury, the silver and gold, the spices and fragrant oils, and his entire armory, <clears throat> and all that was in his treasuries. Thus was nothing in his palace or in all his realms that Hezekiah did not show them. Then the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and said, What did these men say to you? And where did they come from? And Hezekiah replied, they came from a distant land. They came to me from Babylon. 
And Isaiah asked, what did they see in your palace? And Hezekiah said, they saw everything. There is in my palace, there is nothing in my treasuries that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of Jehovah of hosts. The time shall come when everything in your palace and all that your forefathers have treasured up until now shall be carried away to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says Jehovah. And from among your own sons, your future offspring and descendants, they shall take some to serve as eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. But Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of Jehovah you have spoken is good. For he thought, then there shall be peace and loyalty during my reign. So Hezekiah, although he should have known better, um, he made a, a grievous mistake, which in reality was a sign and portent of things to come when his son Manasseh would take the reign after his death and would turn the southern kingdom into ruin. Um, and we will learn more about this next week as we read more in the ascension of Isaiah and get further into the next chapters of Isaiah. Um, it is my testimony that it is indeed the privilege of God's people in every generation in which the fullness of the gospel is on the earth. And as it says in DNC 45, verse 28, and when the time of the Gentiles is come in, this is during Joseph's second ministry, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. But they receive it not, for they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. And in that generation shall the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be men standing in that generation that shall not pass, until they shall see an overflowing scourge for a desolating sickness shall cover the land. Now this had nothing to do with Joseph Smith's first ministry. It does have to do with his second. But my disciples shall stand in holy places and shall not be moved. But among the wicked men shall lift up their voices, curse God, and die. And it's my testimony that the day in which we live is the day that the time of the Gentiles has come in. That a light has broken forth among those who sit in darkness, which is us. And it is the fullness of the gospel that it is again possible through the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then if we continue to ask and knock, to feast upon the words of Christ, to be instructed in all things that we also might enter into the rest of the Lord in this life 
in preparation for his return in his glory to this earth. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.